Welcome to week two of our worship series, Feast. Table fellowship and feasting and festivals. Feast of the Lord are both a prominent theme and a vital event, vital events in Scripture. In the beginning, God rested after uh, creating for six days. On the seventh day, God rested and established a day set apart for spiritual renewal. It was a feast day. God's prophets spoke of a day of peace and unity to all people of the world. That day was imagined as a, a great banquet of rich food and wine, in which all would rejoice at the salvation offered by the Lord. Jesus' life was formed by the feasts, and he established the Gospel's preeminent feast of Holy Communion at the Last Supper. It is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee that Jesus performed his very first miracle. But many of Jesus' parables and times when he taught are in the context of a wedding banquet or a wedding feast or another gathering. And last week, Pastor Jeff Mickle spoke in his message about a wayward son. And when that wayward son came home, how did they celebrate? The father threw a great feast. As we prepare to read God's word this morning, let's join together in seeking God's illuminating grace. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John's gospel in the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jugs for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Years ago, when Johnny Carson was still the host of The Tonight Show, he interviewed an eight-year-old boy. The, the boy was asked to appear because he had rescued two friends from a coal mine near his hometown in West Virginia. As Carson talked with the boy, it became apparent to him and to the audience that the boy was a Christian. So Carson asked him if he attended Sunday school. When the boy said he did, Carson asked, what are you learning in Sunday school? The boy replied, last week our lesson was about when Jesus went to a wedding and turned water into wine. The audience burst into laughter, but Carson did the best he could to keep a straight face. And then Carson asks, and what did you learn from that lesson? The boy squirms in his chair. It's apparent that he hadn't really thought too much about what he had learned from the lesson. But then he lifted up his face and, and said to Carson, if you're going to have a wedding, make sure you invite Jesus. The young boy was right, wasn't he? If you're going to have a wedding, make sure you invite Jesus. As a pastor, I've told that story quite a few times in premarital counseling. Sometimes couples are, are so concerned about all the many, many, many details of the wedding that they forget the most important part, to invite Jesus. To invite Jesus to the wedding and to the marriage. I think any pastor properly preparing a couple for a wedding and for marriage will usually remind them that no matter how they plan things, something will probably go wrong. They won't plan it. They won't want it. Yet something will happen at the wedding and in life that the couple never foresaw. The disaster of running out of wine at the wedding feast in Cana hadn't been planned by the couple or their families. We don't know why they ran out of wine. But whatever the reason, it opened up an opportunity for the grace of God to enter into that wedding feast as Jesus' first miracle or sign, as John calls them, occurs at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Cana was the hometown of Nathanael, one of Jesus' disciples. Cana was only about five miles from Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And at the wedding, there is great joy, but disaster happens. The wine runs out. Not many know, it seems, well, at least it not at first. Not the bride or the groom, not even the chief steward. But Jesus' mother Mary sees the predicament and she turns to her son and she asks him to resolve the issue. They have no wine, she tells them. These are the last words that anyone would want to hear at a wedding in Galilee at that time. Wedding in Jesus' day were 
a bit different. Well, they're, they're a lot, they were a lot different than our 21st century America. Weddings in those days were extravagant affairs. Life savings were spent making certain that the guests had the best possible time. The reception was far more than a few light hors d'oeuvres with punch followed by some cake. The reception was was more than uh, an extravagant sit-down multi-course meal. The party didn't end in a few hours as we allocate. It went on for seven days. To run out of wine was an unforgivable indiscretion. It was a social disaster unless quickly fixed. Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus has the servants fill the six large urns that sat by the door and provided the guests with water to wash their hands and their feet from the dust of the road. Each of the urns are 20 or 30 gallons. Multiply that and you get something like 120 to 150 gallons of water. That's about 600 bottles. So it's not just the, the quantity, though, of the wine that was so stunning. The wine that Jesus produces is of the the highest, highest quality. It was no small feat to fill those urns. It takes a lot of effort. And when they finish, Jesus tells the servants, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they do it. And the wine steward tastes the water that is now turned into wine. And oblivious to what Jesus has done, the steward calls the bridegroom aside and he says, everyone brings out the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have already had something to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Why would Jesus provide wine for this party? Well, there are at least three reasons that connect and relate to our series theme, Feast. First, this moment really wasn't about wine, and it wasn't about keeping the fun flowing. It was about so much more as the servants and the disciples who witnessed the miracle firsthand no doubt began to understand. Rather, it was about the inauguration of a whole new celebration. This was the Savior of the world, pressing go on a new era of the kingdom of God and sending a message about the way and the truth and the life that if you let it, it will radically change the way that we and those who know Jesus live our daily lives under Jesus' gracious, sin-forgiving reign. The Apostle Paul 
overwhelmed by this idea, will ask the Romans and asks us, what then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God is really on our side through Jesus Christ, then what could one possibly come up with that could drag us down? Feast and drink it in, brothers and sisters. Now second, a good wine and a good wedding should include optimism about the future. And it doesn't matter if you're in day four of a Galilean wedding celebration or you're in the second hour of a wedding of a close friend. It's a time of optimism. It's a time of celebration. You see in God's word, wine and wedding imagery are tied to the hope for eternity. In Isaiah, we hear the promise that one day the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow and well-aged wines strained clear. One day we will enjoy a wedding feast to beat all wedding feasts, even those in Galilee. There, God's forgiven people will celebrate their eternal resurrected life with Jesus. John's point in in sharing this miracle in Cana is to tell us that in Christ, the consummation of that promise has now come closer in Jesus than ever, ever before. In Jesus, we should see a guarantee of our hope for future. We can live hope-filled through storm and pandemic and fight and up day and down season, knowing that Jesus Christ has fought and won and guaranteed a glorious, feast-filled future for us. Feast on that truth. In Jesus, there is every reason to be optimistic about the road ahead. Lastly, John purposely tells that Jesus filled six stone jars typically used for the Jewish rites of purification. And that water was changed into an abundance of wine. This is no insignificant detail. The huge jars would normally be used for washing one's hands and, and utensils, meeting the needs of constant cleanliness as the law required. But transforming the the water in those jugs into wine for the party, Jesus is sending a message. He's sending a message of the blessing that he brings. Who would, and he can meet the deepest of our needs. He's sending a message that his party, the wine of his truth, 
would do more than just gladden our hearts. It would do and give the things of God. It would bring purity and providence and presence and peace and so much more. Those who drink from him would not simply feel rich for a few hours or even for a week, but they would be rich and whole for all of eternity. Later in John's gospel, Jesus will make this beautiful statement regarding the reason for his arrival and the purpose for his ministry. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came and saves the party so that we might uh, live richly and joyfully, hopefully, and abundantly. Have you been doing that lately? It's difficult, isn't it? We've been buried in worry and stress and in fear, but that's not the life in the feast that God has planned for you. Myra Brooks Welsh, in her poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand, writes this, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good folks?' he cried." Who will start bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two. Only two? And two dollars. Who will make it three? Going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. Now what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who will make it two? Two thousand dollars, who will make it three? Three thousand once, 3,000 twice, going and going, gone. The people cheered, but some of them cried. They did not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. The master invites you to the feast to be touched by his hand, to be touched with his grace, with his blessing, to be transformed by Jesus. The master comes, touches a wedding in Cana, not just with the miracle, but with the glory of his presence. He takes this ordinary wedding and he transforms 
transforms it into something absolutely extraordinary. He takes a fisherman by the name of Peter and transforms him into the greatest preacher of Christendom. He takes Paul, the great persecutor of the church, and transforms him into the greatest evangelist and theologian of the Christian faith who ever lived. He takes a young, frail, frightened girl by the name of Teresa and transforms her into Mother Teresa. But he also invites you to his feast. God in Jesus Christ reveals God's glory and takes that which is ordinary and transforms it. The lesson was not lost on Jesus' first disciples who had joined him at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And they believed. I pray that it won't be lost on any of us. In Jesus Christ, the fullness of God's glory is revealed. Amen. And he calls to you, come to my feast. Amen.